Magazines like that, where they're sitting around in different places you are, I think people still like the tangible aspect of picking them up and, and reading the more fun stuff that can be in there and not being just driven by an algorithm is really important. Hey, and welcome back. We hope you've been enjoying season one of Mountain Gazette Library. While we take a break between seasons, we wanted to share interviews with past and present contributors to the magazine. This week, we have Doug Schnitzbahn. Mountain Gazette Library is proudly presented by Steo. Designed, developed, and tested at the base of the Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Steo was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through premium technical apparel for the epic and everyday. Learn more at Steo.com. S-T-I-O.com. Steo. Let the outside in. This episode is also brought to you in association with Gordini. Gordini has been redefining the cold weather experience through outdoor gear and glove innovation for more than 66 years. Based in Vermont, family run and independently owned, Gordini has focused on the same mission since its founding in 1956 to keep you outside longer. From introducing the first ever down and leather ski mitts to launching the industry's first dual layer ski sock, Gordini believes that the future is in our hands and now, our feet. Innovation is always done in the spirit of progress. See what drives our product and our passion at Gordini.com. G-O-R-D-I-N-I.com. Doug Schnitzbahn is a nationally celebrated writer and editorial innovator based in Boulder, Colorado. Doug's story, The Wisdom of Neowise, was featured on season one of Mountain Gazette Library. Enjoy a very insightful glimpse into the world of print media. I am currently the editor of Elevation Outdoors magazine, and I have been for the past 12 years, Uh, but I'm also a freelance writer. I'm also an essayist. I also uh, publish uh, a few things, including uh, Exit 205 magazine, which is the magazine of uh, Dylan and Silverthorne. So I handle all the business and editorial for that. Um, And for a long time, I was... Uh, the editorial director kind of putting out publications for outdoor retailer, including the daily that came out every day at the show and the outdoor retailer uh, magazine. Um, And then Mountain Gazette was bought by uh, Summit Publishing by the same publisher as uh, uh, Elevation Outdoors uh, back in Charlottesville, Virginia, when Mountain Gazette was kind of like on the skids a little bit, you know, it, it needed some love and, uh, Summit bought it. And, uh, you know, John Fahey was still the editor then, but they weren't really able to, uh, keep it viable mostly because, uh, they were a local, you know, Elevation Outdoors is more local Colorado, Blue Ridge Outdoors is local to the South, Uh, So there was a challenge in selling Mountain Gazette the same way as more of a national magazine or a regional magazine was was difficult for ad sales. Uh, So then they transitioned it over to uh, just an online publication for a little while. And that got kind of put on me to take care of that, uh, which was, you know, which was cool, but also not easy to do considering the whole, you know, history, how it was a great print magazine. Um, but I tried to, uh, bring a lot of old contributors on to write things online. Uh, I had this guy, uh, Sean, Sean O'Grady was writing for us. Who's a long time, uh, 
academic and writer who lives in the, the Catskills in New York. And he oversaw uh, a great academic uh, book of wilderness writing uh, that went out to universities everywhere. And he wrote some great pieces. He wrote a really great piece about following Broadway in New York all the way to the end of Broadway. Uh, Devin O'Neill, who's a really fantastic writer, um, in Brackenridge was doing stuff. So we had really good, you know, we had some good online content going, but it was a very limited budget and very limited scope when I got to oversee it. Uh, but then I really encouraged, I knew that Mike Rogge wanted to, wanted to buy it and really encouraged him to buy it because there was even a certain point when, uh, you know, when Summit had Mountain Gazette, I was trying to figure out what to do with it. I was like, well, what we need to do is get some you know, to to revamp it with a lot of new young writers. I was like, like Mike Rogge. I was like, he'd be great for it. And then so it happened that later on he was interested in buying it and uh, helped facilitate a meeting between him and, and Blake DeMasso, who uh, Blake really wanted to make sure Mountain Gazette succeeded. He didn't want to see, you know, he didn't want to see it get shuttered down. So he was excited that Mike had really good plans for it and had a, a vision that would be more national based the way Mike's doing it now. I guess from seeing that development, how do you how do you see the future of Mountain Gazette? You know, from your perspective of seeing it from, you know, before Mike took over and then now, and then just you know, how does the future look? It's completely different. You know, I think that the great thing about Mike taking over Mountain Gazette is he has such uh, he's so good at marketing, he's so good at getting a, a point across. He's also so good at putting his vision into action. You know, I loved. Uh, he really had a vision to do something different instead of something the same with a magazine, you know, someone easily could have bought it and just tried to do the same thing, you know, a free publication magazine, uh, you know, which was where it was having problems with previous owners trying to sell ads for it. But instead he had the vision of what's really an art piece, you know, and he knew that the readers were still hungry for Mountain Gazette to be out there. Uh, but he was able to put it together in this, you know, what it is now, this super large format, uh, where he's been amazing, really, about uh, featuring incredible artwork, incredible photography, and really great writing has been his uh, focus and growing the subscriber base. So it's a completely different model and one with a lot of vision and one with his energy really making it happen all the time. I mean, he's he's on the go all the time promoting Mountain Gazette and finding new partnerships and finding new ways to do it. And uh, I really respect him for that. And I love the way that he uh, has found this place where print really thrives. And it's something that people want. You know, they want this big, beautiful magazine in their hands. They want beautiful writing. They want beautiful photography, you know, and he's found a way to do that. Definitely. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, with your history and your background, you know, it, we could probably talk about it all day. So, but like in a more brief, um, you know, sort of rundown, just like your what you've seen with print magazines throughout the years and how that's changed and how technology and various things have come into play and how, you know, being at the forefront of trying to keep print alive as it were, uh, how do you think that's been going and, you know, how's your history with that been? Yeah. I mean, the thing with magazines all along, right, is, is that they're driven by advertising and, you know, you go back 20 years or so and, and magazines were, you know, I've always been trying to please the advertisers, right? Like advertisers were, you know, if you have an advertiser from some destination, they want to make sure they're covered in the editorial as well. So it's so long, uh, you know, that was always the the relationship was you had, you know, advertisers were able to pay for what a magazine could do. 
Um, and now, I mean, I think the biggest difference now is advertisers just don't care about doing that anymore. Advertisers feel that they can, you know, tell their own, they'd rather tell their own stories on their own. They have their own way of doing it. They, a lot of advertisers don't feel like they need magazines to do that. And they've put budget in other places, which is really sad because, uh, you know, I think especially in the outdoor industry, those advertisers are sort of focusing so much on just what they can do and who they are and their brand that they're missing that there's a larger, you know, collective community out there and that, you know, advertising and magazine supports that. But that's neither here nor there when it comes down to the economics of it. Really, it's uh, uh, a magazine depends on advertisers. Now, what Mike's done with Mountain Gazette is, has, is uh, you know, there's still advertisers who who want to be a part of it, to be a part of the brand and the fabric of it. But he's limited the advertisers and, uh, you know, put more of a premium on what it costs to advertise there for a few people who have the same uh, vision and vibe. And then he's he's put more of a focus on, you know, subscribers that if you want this magazine, you're going to subscribe to it, which is interesting because in a way that was also the old model, right? Like magazines used to be so dependent on subscribers and not too many people subscribe to magazines anymore. But those subscriptions were more to prove to advertisers the kind of reach they could get, right? So if you could say like, we've got 400,000 people subscribing, then that would provide value to an advertiser where I think with Mountain Gazette, there's that value for sure. But really the value is for you as a reader that you want to pay this money to subscribe to be a part of and get this beautiful thing. So I think the focus is much more on the reader, which is where it needs to be. Speaking of like, um, you know, stories you want to, can you touch briefly on your story, um, secrets of Neo wise that you wrote and, um, you know, why you chose to write that one or contribute that one to the magazine and sort of maybe just a brief synopsis of, um, you know, what went into writing that and your thoughts and feelings on it. Yeah. I mean, that was a piece I, you know, I, 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 it's a piece I'm connected to a lot. So I was really glad that you guys, uh, you know, recorded it meant a lot to me. My Mike had asked me to write a piece. I think he just said he wanted a piece about stargazing, and uh, stargazing is one of my passions. I guess I, you know, I worked for the Forest Service for six years up in Montana, and often would sleep uh, without a tent, just slept outside. We'd work in the woods, you know, ten days at a time, and always loved looking at the the stars. And when I first started doing that, I determined I was going to learn the constellations. Um, because I've also always been a fan of mythology as well. So knowing those stories and seeing those stories in the sky meant a lot to me. Um, and when Mike asked me to write this piece at the same time was when the comet, the Neowise comet was in the sky. And uh, I think we were pretty deep in the pandemic and pretty deep into an, an introspective time. Uh, so I put those things together and, and wrote, I mean, I sometimes like to write in a pretty, uh, all or nothing fashion where I think I was pretty close to deadline and I locked myself in my bedroom and, and got that thing out. But, uh, that's sort of my process is to think about a lot of things. And I love to think a lot about a lot of disparate ideas and, and see how they come together in my mind or come together through a, a common theme or a story. In this case, it was of, of that comet, uh, that we all kind of saw or tried to see while it was out there. I think what I really liked about it was just the personal touch and the vulnerability. I think you're able to incorporate it into that story. Does that, you know, was that just a moment in 
like pandemic and, you know, sort of just how you felt during that time? Or is it something with your writing? Do you incorporate your own personal touch to, you know, the outdoors and nature and something that seems to be um, sort of like the, you know, fabric of throughout your life has been something associated with nature or the outdoors? Yeah, of course, you know, I, I like to be pretty varied as a writer, but when it comes to personal essays, uh, I'm a big fan of the writer Philip Lopate, who has the anthology, The Art of the Personal Essay, which has some pieces by him in there and some other just incredible pieces. There was one piece in there uh, uh, about uh, a hunger strike that's amazing and, you know, some famous things in there. But he also has an introduction to it when he talks about writing personal essays. And I think you really have to... Uh, you have to go in and, and touch those live wires uh, in yourself. Uh, maybe things you don't want to touch or don't want to go into. Um, and you have to be exploratory about them. You know, I think some people make the mistake of writing and they already know where they're going. But, uh, you know, I've always thought when you're writing an essay, especially a personal essay, you shouldn't really know where you're writing and the whole point of it uh, is is to discover that something in yourself. And it might not be uh, the kind of thing you'd post on social media. You know, it's it's could be darker or more personal or, or more difficult. Do you, um, you know, as someone who's been listening or, or uh, reading The Mountain Except for a while, do you have a story that you remember that really sticks out to you that, you know, kind of, um, you know, is a favorite or one of your, one of your favorite stories that you've read over the years? Uh, well, I mean, I love Peter, Peter, the one you just did, Peter Cray's Ghost Hotel piece. I know you just did a portion of it, but that's a great one. And Peter and I have worked together so for so long. And I think what, like most people too, it's always fun. It was always fun to read Fahey's kind of long, <laughs> long pieces about drinking and living in a mountain town. I mean, I think those are really uh, a lot of what gave the magazine so much heart and connected to people so, so well. Um, when they come out there. So those have definitely stood out for me along the years. And oddly, like way, way back, you know, maybe when I first moved to Colorado, I remember, you know, you'd find Mountain Gazette, kind of the way you find Elevation Outdoors now, just at a cafe or bar or something. And buddy of mine is like, picked it up to me. He's like, this is great. You got to check it out, check it out. And there was a piece in there that I thought was really cool, which was basically about going to different backcountry cabins and and whoever went to the backcountry cabins i don't even know who the author was uh took the journal entries they found from all these different backcountry cabins and put them together and that was one of the first mountain gazette pieces i read and i thought it was a a great concept for a piece do you think like this concept of um you know it's not so cookie cutter as far as just like magazine stories there can be you know different sports different aspects and it could be a little bit more um rough around the edges do you think that aspect of the magazine is kind of what gave it a little bit more life and maybe had it last longer than maybe some other magazines over the years that probably didn't have that same sense of um you know originality to it yeah i think so you know it's a fine balance it's a fine balance right i'm also a, you know i also you know it's I, i've written you know, formulaic straight magazine stories before, and they're they're hard to write. It's really hard to write those stories too. So part of it is like to write those stories, the amount of editing that goes into things that feel more, you know, more standard is a lot of work and can be hard to do as well. So I think you have to go all one way or the other. Either you create a publication that's really, you know, tight and battened down and very tough on style, 
or you create something that's more a, a collection of of different voices and and is loose around the edges. You know, I think you do you know you do one thing or the other, and Mountain Gazette's always done the other very well. So I would say you know I find that's one of the sad things about uh, you know outside really is is you know back in the day I remember I had this best of outside. Uh, like in the nineties, when Mark Bryant was the editor outside, it was just that writing, the writing was what was so primary about it, you know, and there was the famous King of the Ferret Leggers story. And there was, you know, Crack Hours, you know, every story, all that stuff was in there, but there was such a focus on it being a place for this great writing. And I, you know, the losing that's really, really sad. Like I was down in Santa Fe outside used to be recently and i was like wow this is just really sad that this era is kind of over where this magazine uh was this place where these great writers from throughout the world you know it, it engaged in these great things uh would show up and write about them there was something pretentious about it too and annoying but another way i think it's sad that era's gone i guess on that note too i mean how do you see the future of uh, the magazine industry, like going forward with everything, do you, are you optimistic? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, you were never going to have the kind of magazines that were like in the nineties or something like that when magazines were everything and people read them. And I think people get that same kind of, uh, they get their consumable stuff online, you know, even more so, right. If you want to just have the stuff that people used to flip through a magazine or something. Um, but, you know, I think for like Elevation Outdoors and free magazines like that, where they're sitting around in different places you are, I think people still like the tangible aspect of picking them up and and reading the more fun stuff that can be in there and not being just driven by an algorithm is really important. Um, but I think really the place where magazines will go and will survive is being more art pieces the same way that Mountain Gazette is or the New Trails magazine or, you know, Adventure Journal, Surfer's Journal, you know, have some, having something really beautiful and tangible that people still care about and has really good writing in it. So I think the the shift we're going to see is, is uh, you know, online is going to be more much more of the junk. Um, I think especially, you know, if some people are, are foolish enough to just start posting stories written by AI, whether those are gear pieces or, you know, service pieces or whatever. I think there's, I think that it's going to actually drive a desire for more people to have, you know, a good magazine in their hands, one that's beautiful and tells good stories. Um, you know, I just went to the, with my kids are, uh, uh, 16 and 19. And we just went over to the place paradise found this vinyl shop here in Boulder and walked away with like seven albums and you know that place is packed people are, are into vinyl again which is crazy we never thought that would happen and i think magazines will be like vinyl um with maybe even a little more new life to them i hope at least and i think there's still a place you know there's still a place too on the local level where people really want magazines like this exit 205 magazine we're doing um it sells out you know which is doesn't usually happen with print magazines you know we print 44,000 copies and they all go like there's none left. Um, so I think on the local level, there's still a big hunger for, for magazines and people still love seeing themselves in print and seeing what they do in print. Um, so I think that local communities really need magazines still, um, you know, the big subscription magazines that you get all the time and get the stuff, I, you know, I don't know where they're headed. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to survive on that, that model, I think, um, the old school model, but I do think there's a lot of, uh, potential for, for beautiful magazines and local magazines and, uh, 
having something in your hand. Nice. Yeah. How do you, do you have any advice for like a young, maybe writer or artist or magazine enthusiast who wants to kind of start something like that? Do you, you know, as someone who has experience throughout the years, what do you think would be something really like tangible and good advice that you would uh, share with them? I mean, I think if you got nothing to lose, it's great. I mean, the hard time, hard time to start anything is when you have responsibilities, right? Like, uh, I'd love to do something really edgy right now, but you know, I've got, you know, kids and house and family and stuff to to take care of. So you got to stay a little more conservative. So I think if you have nothing to lose that you should, you know, there's no reason not to, not to go for it or not to give it a try. I think building up a dedicated audience and serving that audience is, is really important too, is, is knowing, you know, knowing and caring about who the people you're getting out to really matters. All right. Well, Doug, I appreciate it. How can people maybe see, you know, the work that you're putting out and the different uh, magazines that you're working with? How can they, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a subscription or how can they read those magazines or check out your work? Uh, you know, Elevation Outdoors is online. It's elevationoutdoors.com. I've got, you know, stuff in Mountain Gazette, obviously, uh, stuff all around. We've got um, Exit 205 magazine. They can find that uh, up in Dillon or Silverthorne if they're looking for that. Don't go to my website right now because it's old and, and needs help. I, I need to do some work on that. Um, uh, Instagram, I'm a Zen punk, like doing stuff up there. And I would encourage you know anyone who wants to write or put photography or put, put art there. I mean, the biggest thing I would say is just you know get it out there. Try to get in touch with me. Uh, try to get get in touch with Mike. You know, because I think it's really important to uh you know mentor people and build people up and bring them along who want to write and share their ideas and share their art definitely all right well thank you doug i really appreciate it yeah it's great to talk to you thanks john the mountain gazette library is produced and hosted by me john Booster. for more head over to mountaingazette.com slash subscribe today and pick up a subscription to the magazine this podcast is executive produced by Mike Rogie, marketing by Austin Holt, produced by Connor Sedmak, social media by Amy Doran, and public relations by Ryan Rowe. No part of this podcast may be reproduced without written permission from Mountain Gazette and its parent company, Verb Cabin LLC.